Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm Sam Delaney, and this is The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. My guest this week is the comedian Bobby Mayer. Bobby's originally from Canada, but he lives and works in the UK now, and you've probably seen him on TV shows like 8 Out of 10 Cats, Roast Battle, or Your Face or Mine. He's on loads, and he is hilarious. We hadn't spoken in a while before I asked him to do the podcast. As a result, this might come across at times like just a big old catch-up between two mates, because basically... That's what it is. But I do think you're going to get a lot out of this one. Bobby is so thoughtful, honest and insightful about mental health. And his stories are amazing and I think quite inspirational. He also managed to flip things around and get a lot out of me about my issues and my story during the conversation. So you might enjoy that too. Anyway, here you go. Bobby Mayer, welcome to The Reset. Thank you, Sam for having me <laughs> oh it's my pleasure mate it's great to catch up with you um it's been too long because of lockdown but it's a pleasure to talk to you today um although we've known each other worked together and been mates quite a few years uh, we've never like sort of got deep into our respective sort of issues or stories about about mental health but i was thinking while we while i was sort of preparing for this about the first time i ever saw you do stand up was in 2015. I'd already known you a little while and I saw you at Edinburgh in 2015 and you were talking about, I mean, I won't go into details, but you were were very funny about very personal experiences and low points in your life, right? Uh, Where do you get that courage from, mate? I don't know if it's courage. It just felt like that's what I had to offer in Mm. terms of comedy. Whenever, whenever... I mean, the, uh, the story you're referencing specifically, I can go into. So I, I had a bit. It, it's less funny when I just say it now, but I had a bit about the last time I got drunk and high where I was in Geneva and I did a bunch of coke and I got really drunk. Mm. And then I was drugged and robbed by prostitutes. Mm. And uh, it was, you know, it was a horrific experience. 
but it was the funny part of it was that they they kind of forced me to put my debit card into a debit machine and put my pin in and then they stole three thousand pounds from me when i was drugged and uh the bank gave me that money back including the money that i had took out to buy the prostitutes (laughs) right and i never told the bank so i just got to you know i didn't get to keep that money my girlfriend at the time now wife uh Mm. made me just i think i bought her a bike and uh, a lot of other nice things Mm. yeah for a long time yeah i mean a small price to pay yeah well there are many other prices but (laughs) but i mean fair enough of course you know you should have left um and then that that was that was the last time i i uh drank and i had quit many times before that i was never someone who drank every day like i wasn't the kind of drunk who was you know like oh alcohol is gonna alcohol would have killed me but just not it wouldn't have been the alcohol it would have been i blacked out and you know fell into a lake which actually happened i once blacked out high and drunk and i woke up in a forest and my last memory was walking into a river. Like I was just falling into water and then blacked out. Wow. And like, I, I, uh, yeah. So I was just a terrible drunk. And in terms of where do I get the courage? It's not really courage. It's just like, that was where I was at. You know, that was what was happening to me. So I'm like, you know, I didn't have any other reference for normality. I'm in my early 20s. I'm like, I guess this is what life is like. <laughs> you don't. So you didn't. I mean, you know, people do fear judgment. I did. You know, I, I mean, I still do I, to some degree, not as much as I once did. But like I say, to me, listening to it two months sober, I was still I'd been a reasonably secretive drinker and drug user or certainly I mean, most people who who knew me well would have known that I drank and took drugs, but only in that sort of like mucking around type way. They wouldn't have been aware that I was getting myself into bad situations or doing it relentlessly. And like I say, when I first gave up, I would have been sort of loath to open up about that to too many people other than, you know, maybe two or three, one of whom would have been my therapist. You know, and what and the reason for that is I probably was still worried about being judged. And it took me a while, you know, a few years to slowly sort of let go of all that stuff and realize that sort of the route to sort of feeling better about yourself and just taking control of your life and just feeling like a better person is just fucking own that shit and and talk about it. But obviously none of those thoughts were problems for you. Well, I think. The, 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 what in, for me, I'm a comedian. So when you're on stage, you're always trying to think, what can I say that no one else can say? I'm like, wow, it seems like I have a lot of things happen to me that no one else does. Like when I fall, I like falling into a river and yeah. blacking out and getting robbed by prostitutes. So in kind of my youth, and I guess in a way, night, like I was just too young to know that I maybe didn't want this out in the world forever. Mm. Um, I just, it would happen and I would be kind of excited, like, oh, not, not the prostitute thing. By then I had quite a bit of shame. Like I was <laughs> definitely shrouded in shame by that instant. But things before that, like just drunk adventures or high adventures, I generally would just be like, oh, this is something I can say on stage. People will laugh. Um, it wasn't until years later where I'm like, oh, that really, <laughs> I probably wasn't as cool as I thought I was. 
Did I? Yeah. I was so in my, you know, I guess in terms of like a recovery term, I was so in my disease or I was so like caught up in thinking what I was doing was like really great. Edgy, you know? edgy and yeah, yeah. Wow. And I, and I wouldn't think it for long. Like I'd usually drink for a few months and then be like, wow, I need to stop this. But there was still that feeling of like, Oh, this is what makes me special. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, funny the amount of time that those of us who, who, you know, behaved in that way can be convinced by popular culture that basically being a bit of a sloppy mess is basically like your Keith Richards and quite glamorous. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the reverse is true, right? You're like a pathetic sloppy mess, but you think, wow, I'm I'm kind of like a rock star here. Yeah, yeah, you, you're living in your own movie that no one else knows is happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so where, was it just a simple case of people say you need to hit rock bottom in order to finally give up for good? Is it quite simple with you? Is it just that was your rock bottom and therefore it led you to just make a, a unilateral decision to stop all that stuff? Yeah, I would say so. And I had other rock bottoms, like tons of ones where my life was in danger or I would get really suicidal. Like Mm. when I say I enjoyed it, I didn't even enjoy that much of it, but I held on to the good moments and tried to forget the bad, you know? Yeah. And. um, Sorry, I blanked. Give me a sec. So that I think that what just happened, that is the uh, (laughs) that's the long term side effect. It's just I every once yeah. in a while my mind just goes oh, just yeah. wipes and I have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, um, what were the what were the first? So I can't remember. Maybe at that stage in 2015, you'd you'd only been sober what a year or something like that. Is that right? Yes. But okay, let's go back. Sorry, you asked um, what about the rock bottom? That's what it was. The yeah. rock bottom. Yeah, that was it. Was a clear kind of rock bottom, definitely. Um, it was a matter of, well, I get sober and really try to show that I am want to change my life in a direction of good, or I'll lose my relationship. And I really, at the time, you know, my now wife, I loved my girlfriend mm. then, uh, my then girlfriend. And so that was the impetus. And it, I think, you know, from what I've learned about, uh, kind of, I guess quitting any addiction or it's great to have a definitive reason to quit, you know, mm. The people I always feel sorry for are the people who never get really bad. Yeah. The people who maybe they do it every day, but the consequence isn't that bad, but they're still kind of slowly just ruining their life. Yeah. Yeah. They're slowly ruining their life, but there's never a big moment and they can still kind of keep it together. And as they get older, you just see it wearing on them more and more. And they're looking a bit more disheveled and a bit more. Every time you see them, it just, you know, their eyes look a bit sadder but they never have that moment that pushes them to realize like, Oh, I could just do something else with my time. So yeah, I'm quite thankful that I was really bad at drinking and doing drugs. They call that in recovery, the gift of desperation where, you know, you're you're lucky to have had that visit upon you because you're so right. There are so many functioning alcoholics who never have the, there's never a big enough incentive for them or a big moment that's dramatic enough for them to stop. But there is just daily incremental <laughs> kind of it's, bullshit and sadness and frustration that plagues them forever. 
it's just death by a thousand cuts. You know, they're just slowly and you just see it. And you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. And then if I ever tell them, hey, maybe get some help, they look at me like, I mean, I'm fine. It's like, OK, uh, yeah, right, continue. On. Yeah, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to tell people like that. Um, because understandably, it makes people defensive. And I would have been exactly yes. the same. I would have been exactly the same in the build up to my sobriety. My wife had started to notice and comment upon my drinking in particular. I was quite secretive about my about my Coke use, but. Uh, my drinking for like a year at least in, in until I sort of finally made that decision. And I was such a, I was such an arsehole. I was so defensive and I was so sort yeah, of like, too. I was so sort of like, um, Hey man, why does everyone keep trying to tie me down? This is my life. Yes, this yes. Is, I'm just a freewheeling kind of a guy. Do you know what I mean? Who did you think I was? I've never hidden who I was. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's like I was one of a, like like a soccer mom wearing a shirt that said, "I'm a bitch and I know it." Like, <laughs> I know I have a problem. Don't tell me I have a problem. Yeah, and I was a bit like, you know, this is what's your problem with me being an asshole? Why why do you want me to be boring? Yes, yes, I was terrified of boredom. Now all I want is boredom. I want to, I want a slow, boring life, and it makes me so happy. Me too. But yeah. then boredom and being at home and having no outside kind of adrenaline rushes, whether it be drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever, mm. was the worst and most terrifying thought, you know? Yeah, exactly right. But although I agree with you and I often say something, oh, I love having a, a boring life or a slow paced life. In other ways, it's like, but really the real boredom was not having the imagination or energy or wherewithal to pursue anything interesting other than just basically taking stuff to put, to, to, to put yourself in a, in an artificially excited mood. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That to me now seems so boring. And, and the thing I'm really, one of the things I'm very embarrassed about is I think I, I, I've got so much more imagination than that. I've got so much more imagination than thinking, right, I want to have fun. So I might take this magic potion that's like an instant, dose of fun you know like now if i'm having fucking fun i fucking know i'm having fun and i know it's real because i know it's not being kind of contrived through drugs and alcohol yeah and i like the other day on a sunday morning i went i went to a rooftop pool with some friends yeah and uh it was great we had a nice time we sat there for like three hours swam a bit had lunch and in the past that would have been the most boring getting up on a sunday morning yeah to sit and eat lunch and swim would have been a nightmare i would have been angry the whole time i would have resented being there mm. by the end of it i would have start picked a fight with someone mm. and now it was like one of the best days i've had in so long you know and i i that's great and i don't know i don't know how much of it is just aging and how much of it is some recovery but it's it's great i really appreciate it and what's your what 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 form did your recovery take, mate? Um, I mean, you know, I've known you for a few years, but I don't don't know like whether you just they call it white knuckling, where you just stop and see what happens, or did you get treatment, or did you talk to someone? I went, so I never went to rehab. I went to twelve step meetings, like you know, AA, NA, that kind of thing. Yeah, and 
I stuck with that. And that really worked. It helped me quit drinking, quit doing drugs. And I think because I wasn't somebody who did it every day, I wasn't chemically dependent. Mm. It was more habitual. Mm. So I didn't, I act like, to be honest, I didn't find quitting drinking and doing drugs hard. Mm. What I did find hard was knowing how to be happy or derive any joy from the rest of life. I really tried with 12 step recovery for a couple of years um, to make it work for me. And I threw myself into it. I, you know, I went to meetings all the time, did everything you're supposed to do, called my sponsor, all that stuff. And after a while, I started going insane. So I got sober. And while I'm watching all these other people got sober at the same time as me, they're seeing all the gifts of recovery. And my gift of recovery was a complete mental breakdown. Mm. It called like um, it. I went to I remember I kept getting really angry, like huge bursts of rage, like screaming at strangers on trains or in shops. Like I was the guy where, you know, if it was now, I would have been filmed on someone's phone and it would be on YouTube. And I just have these I'd switch and start screaming and I, I didn't know what was going on. And um, eventually we, I went to I was trying so hard. I was going to psychotherapy, AA, NA, doing all of it, really throwing myself into it. And I could not shift this mood, shift these mood swings, these intense mood swings that were very intense. So uh, we went to couples therapy. I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, my now wife has stuck with me for so long. I want to fix this. I'm trying so hard to fix this. I really had a good knowledge of recovery, throwing myself into it. And it just, I was getting worse and uh, I wasn't happy. I was way less happy than I was when I was using. And uh, we go to couples therapy, this couples therapist, not understanding really the severity of these mood swings I was having starts picking at me and poking me to see what, what would happen. And um, I yelled at him. He asked me to leave his office. I refused to leave the office. I laid on a set of stairs, kicking and screaming like a baby. <laughs> and then when he came close, I, I don't, I, I honestly don't know if this was intentional, but I kicked a railing. The railing flew off, went flying, hit him in the face. And he was a big guy, like six to 250 yeah. pounds. He just dropped to the ground like I knocked him out. Fucking hell. And in that moment, I kind of came up and I crazy and thought, oh, no, I've just killed my therapist. Um, but what was great was then he told me I have borderline personality disorder <laughs> and gave me a specific. There's a very specific kind of therapy that works for people with borderline or P, uh, it's called dialectical behavioral therapy. And I signed up to that. And within a few months, these symptoms that had kind of been pervasive throughout my addiction and throughout then my recovery, where it's just extreme mood swings, just like no sense of self, like a feeling of like horrific emptiness. They just went away or at wow. least started to get better in a way where I was like, oh, OK. And now uh, it, wor it worked. It worked. What know? happens in that kind of therapy then? So it's not dissimilar to 12 step therapy that you just get a bunch of it's it's so in psychotherapy, um, at least in my understanding of psychotherapy, uh, which probably isn't complete, uh, they get you to dive into your feelings. It's all about the answer is inside of you. We need to find this answer inside of you. Let's talk about your childhood. 
tell me about the worst things that have ever happened to you. And if you do that, somehow you will be relieved of your pain and you will be better. And I did that for years and I was never, I'd get a kind of a placebo effect feeling good about having opened up. But other than that, nothing changed. I had no behavioral changes from psychotherapy. Um, in dialectical behavioral therapy, it's the opposite. You do not dive into your feelings. You do not talk about your trauma until you are very stable. And what you do is every week you go to a group, which is more like a class uh, where you are taught coping skills. They call them just skills. And there's probably there's a thick book of like, I don't know, a couple hundred skills. And they're all just skills for how to deal with intense emotions. Mm. And and then you also I also did a one on one with the, the same therapist who would orchestrate the group. And that in that one-on-one, again, you don't dive into your trauma. You just reassert the skills you're learning and you talk about how you're using them in your life. And that changed my entire life. So it's a set of skills, a set of tools, but just dealing yeah, with the flashpoints and triggers that would have usually made you, for instance, lose your temper. Lose your, lose your temper or cry or want to kill yourself or go do a bunch of coke or get yeah. really drunk you know, or go by prostitutes, whatever impulsive, compulsive behaviors you don't have control over, these coping skills, you want to use them when you start to notice yourself going in the direction of one of the behaviors you don't want to partake mm. in. Mm. That's fascinating. That's really interesting. I don't know about, I've never really heard about that, but I suppose it's like, it's so practical. You know, a lot of people... Yes. A lot of people struggle, don't they, when they first go to a therapist and they think, oh, they're just going to want to talk about my parents and what good is that going to do? What good is that going to do me? That'll just make me feel worse. I, I just feel like I want to cry all the time. So people do really want, uh, you know, this is mainly aimed at men. I think men in particular often just need very practical solutions, at least in the first instance. Yes, and I... um I found, to be honest, 12-step recovery, I found, you know, AANA, I found it quite, it was coping skills, you know, they're saying, if you feel the urge to do whatever behavior you don't want to do, you know, whether it's drink, drugs, whatever, do this instead, you know, those, those are coping skills, but there, there wasn't enough skills that were specific enough to what was going on with me Mm. to stop my behaviors that I didn't want to do anymore. Whereas DBT, it was just, it's a bit more modern, you know, like 12 step recovery was invented in the 1930s and yeah. hasn't changed that much since. So at the time it was the best, it was the best there was, you know, that was a, a revolution. But now DBT takes some of that, a bit of Buddhism, a bit of mindfulness, mm. um, a bit of CBT. It just kind of, it's like a mixture of a bunch of different, um, I guess, ideologies. And you still, like you say, when she, once you feel stable in a better position to do it, it's not like you don't examine your past or where some of these behaviours or feelings came from. You can. I chose not to. Right. I had talked about my past enough where I was like, listen, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really want to go into my childhood because it's just boring and sad. But my childhood just wasn't a bunch of positive experiences. You know, it was a bunch of horrible, no fun times with mentally ill people. So it's no surprise that when I grow up, I'm a guy that doesn't know how to be happy and is mentally ill. Like, you know, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So what do you do nowadays, Bobby, to, to sort of, I mean, first of all, it's great that you seem, you know, in, in such a good place. What, what are the things that you do, the simple things day to day to look after yourself? No. And now it all, what I, I was about to say, not much, but I think it more comes second nature now, as opposed to in the past, it felt like a huge effort, but it's more about what I don't do, I guess. Mm. Like I, in the past, maybe I'd wake up at, you know, 9am, but then go back to sleep till 12 and then stay in bed till three. And then, um, you know, maybe get drunk or high that night. Maybe not have a bunch of things to do. Do none of. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Then beat myself up about it. The to-do list gets longer. I feel more anxious, more afraid. Then I go and act out more with whatever, you know, addictive behavior I'm partaking in that day. Um, whereas now it's just a bit of exercise. I don't really meditate some deep breathing sometimes. And just, I guess it's just making, there's no, just making better choices because my emotions are not as intense as they used to be. Mm, mm. And, um, what about what do you feel that, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, I suppose, but the fact that you um, are a comedian, that's how you earn your living. Has that been generally helpful? The fact that you, as, as as you said at the beginning of this chat, the fact that you mine your own experiences, you know, uh, for, for your work, is, is that quite a good thing? Because it allows you to be open and being open and talking is obviously helpful. I think so. Yeah, definitely. I definitely, um, I find sometimes I'm like, you know, I think in the past, I didn't find it very difficult to think of things to say on stage because something crazy had always just happened to me. Yeah. Um, that I had, you know, orchestrated with my own uh, shitty behavior. Whereas now I do have to think a bit more like, what do I want to talk about? Where it's more of a choice rather than me just dragging myself through an awful life. Um, but it's great to be open and honest and keep. uh just not pretending whenever I start, well, sometimes pretending, you know, you don't want to be a guy at a party where someone says, how are you? And then you say, well, actually, yeah, yeah. not that you don't want to be open, but some, sometimes people mistake like complete 
think some people think that complete honesty is somehow like what everybody should be going for. And it's like, no, no, lying is great. Sometimes we don't need to yeah. tell every person we meet how we're doing on every level. But I definitely, um, my own, I would say if I, if I'm really anxious about something or I'm really angry about something and I don't tell someone and talk about it, whether it be my wife or a therapist or, you know, I still have friends from 12 Step Recovery that I talk to on the phone or see in person. And if I don't kind of open up to one of those outlets, then that intense emotion will just kind of fester, you know, and eventually it will just kind of rot and turn everything, it, make it harder to see everything else, you know, mm. everything that's good. So what's your advice to people then? Bobby, I mean, what tips? Because there's so many people who will be listening to this who, who are caught, for instance, in the type of drinking or addictive behaviour that we talked about earlier, where they can't quite see the rock bottom or the desperation that might release them, but they're trapped in it, or they might find it difficult to open up or even admit. I mean, I don't know about you. I was even, the first time someone, which was one of my brothers, said to me, listen, I think you've got a... Uh, I think you got a problem. Not with drink. He didn't say that. He said, I think this this was before drinking drugs got on top of me. It was a few years before that where it was just I was suffering from a lot of anxiety and I guess depression. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't, I couldn't. I made, It was pride or shame or whatever. There was no way I could acknowledge that to myself or anyone else. But in the end, my a brother said to me, listen, you um." I think you've got a real problem, mate. Like your your behaviour suggests to me that you are not in a good place mentally and you're finding it difficult to cope and you need to go and see the doctor. And I remember saying to him, oh, have, have you have you been to the doctor about that? And he went, I mean, he's like, I mean, you know him. He's like eight years older than me. He went, of course I have. Loads of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you know what I said? Yeah. I was shocked and I went, what did you tell your wife? And he went, no, I didn't even say that. I said, did you tell your wife? And he went, of course I did. And I'm, you know, I'm super, I'm so close to my wife. I'm, you know, I've known her since I was a kid. We've been together since we were like 20 years old. She's my best friend in the world. And yet weirdly I thought, Oh, I won't be able to tell her that I've got depression or anxiety because then that will really worry her. And, and we've got a kid and, and she'll just like, it'll be terrible. It'll be like, I've let her down. And he went, of course, of course you tell her. Do you know what I mean? I was like, um, very, I was really, maybe, I mean, it was a different time. It was like, let's say 10 years ago. And, you know, everything, culture and society has changed a lot in these last 10 years with regards yeah, to mental health. But back yes. then, I was not, I didn't know you. I didn't know various other people in my life now I'm able to have these kind of open conversations with. Um. But I hate to think that there probably is still a lot of blokes in that situation thinking, I can't fucking fess up to this to anyone. Well, what I would say is no matter how intense what you're feeling feels and no matter how hopeless what you're feeling feels, odds are if you do some research on Google and you type in all the symptoms, you'll find a couple treatment options, whether it be talk therapy, behavioral therapy, uh, recovery like 12 step recovery, rehab, whatever, like, and if you choose one of those options and throw yourself into it, if it's, and it doesn't work, 
choose another option mm. and just keep trying them. And once you find the right option, which will probably be the first one you try, maybe not though, within a couple months, all of those things that felt completely insurmountable, you won't think about very often. Like it, we, it's getting better. Isn't like, it's not as hard. It's not that hard. It's just about making the choice to do it and be with the, the willing to be vulnerable and willing to admit you don't have all the answers is what's hard. After that, you just have to kind of do what you're told for a while. And it's, if you actually do what you're told, you'll probably feel better. Um, what, what about now, mate? Just lastly, when you reflect back on the, on these times, how do you deal with the feelings like for a lot of people, me personally, right? That people are usually either contending with the past or the future. For me, I've always had a much bigger problem with the future than the past, right? Like, of course, I have, I, I, I'm, of course, I have regrets about my past. Everyone does, especially those of us who who are addicts, because we, you know, we've obviously done fucking stupid things. But I'm kind of able to like put that out in my head or forgive myself, but. Uh, I my thing even today, although I'm a lot better, is anxiety about the future. I'm fucking constantly yes. worried about the future. Can't stop worrying. It. Well, I can, but I do have a problem with worrying about the future. I'm not too bad about the past. What about you? Do you do you carry any like shame or guilt or stuff that affects you about the past? Or do, do you worry about the future? So I have a tendency. If I'm feeling good, I have a tendency to find any moment in the past where I've made a mistake and focus on that until I don't feel good anymore. Mm. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's learned behavior from childhood or, or just a brain chemical quirk or just a habit, but that is my tendency. My tendency with the future is to think whenever I make money to think this is the last time I'm going to make any money. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. going to realize I'm a fraud. Mm. And even if life is great, it's about to get really bad. Mm. And both of those thoughts are, they're always there, but odds are, you know, life is, what was I going to say? I think that I just kind of argue with them or accept that that voice is there, but I don't try to shut it down. I just say, oh, there you are again. Thank you for letting me know that my life it was horrible and is going to be horrible again. I appreciate you. I just try not to argue with that mean voice in my head. The word voice in your head makes it sound like you have schizophrenia, but it is just it is just an internal monologue that's not helpful. And uh, sometimes I'll argue with it. Sometimes I'll laugh at it. And as long as I don't take it too seriously, it doesn't actually affect my behavior that much. So you can't get rid of it completely, but you can treat it differently. Um, I don't think I'll get rid completely. No, because also some of it's good. Look, worrying about the future and thinking everything is about to go wrong. I genuinely think that all very ambitious people have that. Mm. It's very, I don't know many very ambitious people who aren't driven by the fear of everything about to get bad. So 
Um, I, I mean, I would like it to go away, but it won't go away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but no, I, I haven't, but it definitely happens so much less. Like that is very important to say, you know, it used to be, that's what I was thinking about all the time constantly. Now I'm probably thinking about it a couple times a day and then for a few seconds or for a few minutes. Yeah. So it's not nearly like it's still 99% better than it was. It's just still there because thoughts, you know, you have a million thoughts every day trying to control and change thoughts is very difficult. It's it, the, uh, one thing I've learned in dialectical behavioral, the dialectical behavioral therapy is you can change your relationship with your thoughts and eventually take them less seriously. Mm, that's really interesting. I've heard, I've heard a lot of people say that. I think you've articulated it in the way that I can relate to most, actually. I've heard people say before, ah, oh, I notice these thoughts and I just watch them come and go. And I've, to be honest, you've made me just understand it because in the past I've been like, what? <laughs> but oh, they're still there. Yeah. Well, I just said, not that. I just sort of think, but they're still there. I don't get it. They're there. They My thoughts affect my feelings. But I have tried to, to adopt this this strategy that you've explained i kind of understand it i guess more now from what you just said is they can come because your brain's a law unto itself but yeah i guess you go oh here it is again it's like when you get a bit of a cold here it is again you don't get a cold and think fuck the cold's gonna kill me the cold must be a sign that i'm dying yes um, I, yeah, in my rudimentary understanding of the therapeutic techniques I'm talking about, from my understanding, if you have a really intense, loud thought, like my, my wife's going to leave me, my kids are, I'm never going to see my kids again, I'm going to lose my job, like that kind of intense thought. If you try to push it away and say, don't think about that, it's going to get louder. Mm-hmm. It's going to get louder if you push it away. And if you say, if you dive into it and swim in it and think, yeah, it's all going to be horrible. This is going to suck. It's going to get louder. Mm. But yeah, if you kind of gently think there you are again, friend, thank you for trying to protect me. I don't need you. Or you just say, oh, fuck off. I have things to do. I don't need you right now. But just have a relationship with those thoughts that reminds your, you know, who reminds the other part of your brain, the logical, you know, part of your brain that that's not you, that's not who you are. And that's not reality. Then I, those thoughts become much less distressing. Bobby, I could talk to you about this all day, but I've taken up enough of your time already. It's so nice to catch up with you, mate. And so brilliant to listen and learn from the stuff that you say. Uh, It's great to talk to you. I just, um, you know, we, we used to we used to work together on your show. And I do remember a couple of times I, I would broach the subject of mental health or addiction because I knew you would quit drinking and you would shut it down. Like you <laughs> definitely did not want to yeah. talk about it. And that was fine. You know, you, you were my boss at the time. So I was like, oh, fair enough. He doesn't want to talk mm. to some acquaintance about his problems. That is, <laughs> that is completely fair. But when I when I, I subscribed to your newsletter and started reading it, I thought I was so happy for you mm. that you didn't have to have this secret anymore. Mm. I think that, um, I mean, I've written about it a lot. I think that when I first got to know you was in like my immediate post-sobriety. And it was like, I, which I think is very common in, in recovering addicts, is I basically remained as crazy as I had been. 
when I was drinking and taking drugs. And what I did was that particular period, as you know, I was making a weekly TV show. I was also making a a daily radio show that you would also come on. And I also, when I was not doing either of those things on air, I was also running a company that made those shows. And and that was, and I had a busy home life with two young children. And so it it was not fucking healthy. But what I thought was at the time, I thought, wow, I I was obsessed with, (laughs) this is really embarrassing to admit, but I was obsessed with the Bradley Cooper film Limitless, right? Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. (laughs) Have you seen it? I love it. I love that. It's a a great film. Of course. And he takes this magic pill, right? I wanted to be him when he takes the magic pill. I thought, right. And when I gave up drinking, like, so he's a bit of a sloppy guy. And then he starts saying this pill and he throws all his alcohol away. And there's a scene where he's running through Central Park. Right. And he suddenly you see this. It's like a Rocky (laughs) training montage. So he's gone from being a little bit of an overweight schlub. That was another thing I did during that period of being super busy. I lost loads of weight and I started exercising like crazy, you know, doing all sorts of like, you know, like personal trainer at 6 a.m. in the morning before starting work. Fucking stupid stuff. Yes. And the thing was, that's what I I thought that sobriety was like the magic pill in Limitless. I thought, I've got all this energy. I'm never hung over. I can do anything. Ha, 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 ha. Like, cra- like crazy, right? So all this work that, come, that was uh, coming my way. The other thing was I sort of thought that, I mean, I'm not religious. I'm not a big believer in God. But I think a part of my ego thought, that the reason suddenly loads of work almost miraculously fell on my plate within months of me giving up was God's reward for me giving up all my vices, right? So I thought, great. Okay, so I'll start a new business. I'll start a TV show. I'll start a radio show. I will start training for a marathon. I will get a personal trainer. I will do all of these different things. I think at one point I started trying to learn Spanish as well, right? And because I was like, I am capable of everything. I've conquer- conquered my demons and I am capable of anything and everything. And I can just keep going. But of course, I mean, it's such an old chestnut, but it's true. I just replaced my addiction with with, yes. a, with with as many different distractions I could have. And I can tell you, when I got back on Fridays after finishing that TV show that we used to record on a Friday... I would come back. The kids wouldn't have really seen me much because the rest of the days I was doing a drive time show, which meant that I didn't usually get in until about eight when they were like just getting ready to go to bed. So they'd be quite excited because after recording the the TV show on a Friday, I'd get in like four o'clock. It'd be the only time they'd think, oh, we can have dinner. And you know what I would do after doing that show? I would come in, I would go straight upstairs, I would take my suit off and I would just fall on the bed and sleep till about six or seven. And then I'd wake up and have dinner. And we did that show for about three years, two and a half years, something like that. And that that was just, no, yeah, three years it was. I just, I just did it. Um, that's what I did every Friday for that whole time. I mean, I, I at the time, um, I found you very impressive. I was like, this man is impressive. The amount of work he does is very impressive. And your ability to throw yourself into work, I was like in awe of that skill but it did seem, yeah, it definitely seemed stressful. It was fucking stressful. And it took that all slowing down in 2018 for me to get better. By which stage I was three yep. years sober. So I thought, ah, I'm fine. But I wasn't. 
it took it took everything slowing down and things leaving you. And, and um, around that time, in the summer of 2018, the radio show and TV show stopped in quick succession, and there was inevitably uh, financial issues, just not just for me personally, but for the company. And there was all sorts of fucking stress going on. And I suddenly thought I'd been in therapy for three years and thought I was all right. And I was like, fuck me, I'm not all right. Okay, because I hadn't had any time for reflection since the day I got sober because I'd been so busy. So I hadn't done any reflection or resting or reading or thinking or breathing or any of the basics that we've been discussing here today. Right. So I was really bad. And I said uh, it was actually as a result of me saying to my therapist, fucking hell i might i didn't i was i wanted I, I you know when you just like you want to try anything you're open to fucking anything at this stage i'm like i'll go for fucking yeah. screaming therapy in the woods if it'll make me feel better for five minutes right and i said uh so i said oh I, I, maybe i should change medication get new medication she said right go and see this psychiatrist i can't talk to you about medication go and see this guy and psychiatrists are, are largely less sympathetic to your stories and stuff because they are medical doctors they're like they're always a bit like look i'm not you can't start telling me about your dad i charge by the fucking half hour mate just (laughs) you know but i did start telling him a little bit and he was he just went yeah well it sounds to me like you've probably cleared a bit of space for your next project and i thought you stupid cunt fucking hell that's just such a platitude right like saying, oh, it's quite important. All things come to an end. That's what, like, it's like the changing of the seasons. I was like, fuck that. I got bills to pay here. I got problems coming out of my fucking ears, right? I don't need to hear platitudes. But, and I've told him this since, I've said you were fucking 100% right yeah. back in 2018 because I had not got better at all. I was fucking mad, absolutely mad. And, I was, you know... I- I just want to say I was also insane when we worked together, full of anxiety, <laughs> like so anxious the whole time, yeah. never comfortable. Everyone was so nice, and it's nothing to do with the team. Like yeah. everybody you employed, I loved them, yeah. except for like a couple people. But, but <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, I know you're talking about. <laughs> but I love, like, there, you know, it was a great team, and I, mm. you know, I wish we were still working together. But, but I was so anxious all the time that mm. I mean, I could barely hold a conversation. And um, that's what well, you were talking about that downtime in 2018. That's what the pandemic gave me that break from work. I mean, not, yeah. I'm not happy about the pandemic, but having being forced to step away from my work and realize I was, you know, workaholism doesn't get talked about that much because nah. it's good for the economy. Um, and then people die before they retire and, you know, the government saves money. <laughs> so, mm. Uh, but I definitely, um, my now going back to work and everything opening up, I'm so, my relationship with how I work and how much intensity I'm feeling while I'm doing that work has changed a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Difficult thing to talk about because obviously it's been awful for so many people and there's been tragedy and all the rest of it, but. You know, it's, yeah. the, the truth is, it's, it's taught us all that fucking taking a breath, sitting back, spending some time just on yourself and fucking reflecting on shit, just fucking resting, <laughs> just yes. plain and simple resting is like such a super cure, I think, for everything. And it was something that was very alien to me until relatively recently in my life. And now I can't fucking get enough of it, mate. That sounds great, Sam. I love this new improved Sam. I, oh, I want to go for dinner. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Before. 
Yeah. And before was still one of the funniest people I know, you know. Um, but you always just seem like you had something to do. It's I know, just, yeah, it, it's it, hard to sort of take time. I was always on my way from one thing to another. <laughs> All right, Bobby Mayer, thanks ever so much for joining me on The Reset. It's such a pleasure as always to talk to you. Take care of yourself, mate. Yeah, thanks, Sam. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Well, there you go. That's my friend, Bobby Mayer. I hope you enjoyed listening to our chat. He's so smart and so warm, and I always feel good after talking with him. I hope you feel the same way after listening to him. That's it for this week, but remember to subscribe to The Reset at sandelaney.substack.com to get my weekly newsletter sent out for free every Friday and this podcast email direct to your inbox every Wednesday. Until next time, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.